You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, yes, we are back. We are ready to roll on a Friday. Time once again. You know it. You love it. We're off and running on this Friday, October 30th. Hey there. It's a day where Major League Baseball is expected to approve Steve Cohen as the new Mets owner, and we wonder what's next there. Uh, A day yesterday with a very controversial hiring of a manager, which is big, big news, but I just don't think it was the right one that was supposed should have been the big, big news. And then yesterday, against all odds, the New York Jets get some good news. So we have lots of stuff to do. On this Friday, good morning, welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Lots on the agenda today, this Friday edition. So, of course, let's roll. Let's dive right in before I run out of time. The number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. Of course, I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. And today, more importantly than all that other nonsense, it is day number 10 of the Regal Tumble. Everybody's favorite little contest that we're running to find out which indeed is, uh, in fact, the best television show of all time. A big day yesterday, and today I get to settle some scores, which I always love. And also, a new contender, a big contender, begins its run, which should be a very deep run. But, of course, that's not up to me. That's up to you. So we'll tell you who that, uh, what show that is coming up. But let's begin with the story that I wanted to get to yesterday, but we just simply ran out of time. Steve Cohn, set to get voted on by the full baseball ownership group this afternoon, is expected to have more than enough votes to get approval. Joel Sherman of the uh, New York Post reports that the uh, vote is scheduled for 1.30 this afternoon. Cohn needs 22 votes, is expected to get way above that. Some reports are he could get as many as 29, or I think 27 votes, whatever. He's going to get enough votes. That's not really the issue. But hanging over the whole proceedings is, of course, uh, Mayor de Blasio and his story that he could hold up the deal that the mayor privately has told baseball that he is going to do everything he can to stop Steve Cohen from buying the Mets. Now, that is diametrically opposed to what he has said um, publicly. You know, playing it very close to the vest. But despite what he says publicly, according to reports, he has told his lawyers to find a way to block the deal. So Mike Vaccaro, also of The Post, a couple of days ago wrote that A-Rod is also part of this, that he's, uh, you know, basically a sore loser, is upset that he lost out on uh, buying the team and is trying to find some backdoor way through political connections to kind of reopen things and maybe get his, his foot in the door. Well, look. A-Rod was no, I mean, come on. He was never going to get the team. I mean, could you imagine the baseball owners approving A-Rod voluntarily putting themselves into that circus? The guy who, you know, apologized for the steroid scandal and then was so contrite, got caught again. And just, just a series of questionable choices. And, you know, they were talking on the K-Show on Wednesday. Why wouldn't Met fans want A-Rod? I completely get it. Why would you? With him, it's all about him. And I get that they have, you know, a good relationship with him at all. But just from afar, someone who has no relationship with him at all, he, he just he's a, he comes off as a phony. He comes off as a phony every single time. 
So I can completely understand why Met fans, you want somebody running the team. It's not just that Steve Cohen's a fan of the team, but it sounds like from all reports, this is a guy who's relentless. He's going to be behind the scenes doing what owners should do. And it's not going to be about him getting pictures taken this place and that place. And it's not all about him. You'd like to think it's going to be all about the team. Now, that doesn't mean that Steve Cohen is all of a sudden going to walk in the door and the Mets are going to just start printing World Series tickets. I I don't know that. Nobody knows that. But I can understand when you're looking at the two choices, if you narrow it down to two choices between Steve Cohen and A-Rod, why you would want Steve Cohen. And that's not even factoring in the whole money angle. I think A-Rod even now, probably is a better shot of getting into the Hall of Fame than getting the approval of enough baseball owners to become uh, you know, the Mets owner, even if he had been given that chance. So that, to me, is not really a part of this. As for the de Blasio thing, I don't know, man. It just seems like a whole bunch of nothing, right? The rule seems like it's pretty clear for de Blasio to have really any say. The rule is that Cohen would have to have been convicted of a felony or a, a morals crime, whatever that is. He's not. He's not even been charged with a felony or a morals crime. So it seems like it's going to be very, very difficult to come up, even for the lawyers, and again, I'm not a lawyer, to find some sort of wiggle room. And according to people within baseball who've been asked about it, according to people who are lawyers have been asked about it, it doesn't seem like there's anything here to be done. So for the mayor who's saying it's, you know, they're just doing their due diligence, it's ridiculous. It's pretty clear this is a personal thing. He does not want Cohen to get the team. And he's using his office to find any possible way, using his power, any possible way, whether it's right or wrong. Truly a scary thought to prevent this guy who's the guy who's going to get the team to prevent that from happening. I mean, that's really a scary thought. I mean, imagine not being a billionaire and uh, the, the power that could be brought down upon you. Truly a scary thought, but I guess one that really shouldn't come as uh, much of a surprise considering the time that we lived in. But again, baseball doesn't really think this is going to be an issue. The lawyers don't think that this is going to be an issue. And it really wouldn't surprise me if de Blasio tries to make this, tries to craft this in a way where he wants to prevent it, can't prevent it, and then it makes it out like, you know, his approval's been given when he's got no say in the matter. So kind of a typical empty suit politician. And the fact that the mayor is even involved, I mean, dear God, with everything that's going on in the world and the city right now, uh, who should be owning the Mets? That's a good question for the mayor. I mean, geez, Louise. Uh, and for Met fans who are getting, I hear all the shows, all the Met fans, oh, if he does this, he's not going to do anything. Steve Cohen's going to be the owner. So in the end, Steve Cohen's going to own the Mets. And it really does feel like this story, which I'm sure it sells papers. I'm sure it gets people all worked up on sports talk shows. It just feels like a whole nothing burger to me. It's going to happen. Uh, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So you don't have to get your, your, your shirt all in a, uh, in, you know, your panties all in a bunch. Or any, any form of clothing that you have, you don't have to get it in a bunch. Shirt, socks, panties, whatever. Um, so that's going to happen today. It looks like 1.30 is when the announcement, uh, or excuse me, when the vote is going to take place. And according to all the reports, uh, Cohen has uh, more than enough votes to get that done. Uh, now, the other thing, I guess maybe we should get to the, the football aspect. You know, I was looking at FanDuel after the show yesterday. 
let you a little bit behind the curtain. The fan, the Gordon Damer FanDuel account has taken a little bit of a hit lately. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been, I've been getting burned quite often. So I was looking at FanDuel yesterday after the show. I said, you know what? I wonder what would happen if I took my entire bankroll, which is not a big bankroll. To, to refer to it as a bankroll probably is, uh, is not really accurate. But my entire bankroll, and I just bet the money line on the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, right? Like I, I said before, that if the, Chief, if the Jets were to be able to beat the Chiefs, that would be, I don't even think it's debatable, the greatest regular season update in NFL history, considering who the Chiefs are, considering where the Jets are at. That would be the greatest upset in the regular season, right? You can't say it's the greatest upset of all time because the stakes are not that high. But just in terms of these two teams and where they're at right now, uh, you would say that that's the greatest upset. Do you realize how little money? Now, maybe for the, the advanced gambler, right? The guy who's, who's betting you know, games here and there. The addict is somewhat. But if you were just uh, looking at it, and you don't, you know, you're not really in, involved in it as, as, as much. And I'm just a casual better. Let's say, and this is not my bankroll, but let's say you had $1,000 and you wanted to bet the Chiefs, not with the spread, but just the money. Just have the Chiefs win the game. How much do you think you would get? If you had $1,000, you'd win 40 bucks. $40. That's basically nothing. That's that's pretty incredible. Basically nothing. So, uh, yeah, the Chiefs obviously are going to win on Sunday. It's just a question of whether or not they can uh, actually cover the spread. Now, last night, the Falcons beat the Panthers. You know, Panthers, are, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but on Sundays I have sat and, and watched other games, and, you know, you'll see the Falcons score come up, and, and each week I'm like, wow, I get, oh, not the Falcons, the Panthers. I'd sit and I'd say, wow, the Panthers, maybe the Panthers are pretty good. Maybe Matt Rule has got things, you know, uh, not that he wasn't going to get things pointed in the right direction, but boy, they're really ahead of schedule. I thought the Panthers would be one of the, the worst teams, and they've, they've won some games this week. They've scored some points. And then I sit down and watch them this, and I'm like, boy, they stink. The offensive line is awful. They couldn't stop a cold. I mean, Robbie Anderson, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was not doing Robbie Anderson any favors last night, putting passes. I mean, the guy's getting mauled. But the Falcons won. So the Falcons are now 2-6. and six. And uh, that is fantastic news for the New York Jets. Another team distances themselves from the Jets, who now, uh, again, according to the Gordon Damer Show algorithm, have a 99.9999999999 chance of getting the first overall pick. They, they added an extra nine. I didn't even know it was possible, but they did add an extra nine last night. So, And last night, to me, is further evidence for why you don't fire Adam Gase. Not now. You do eventually. Against my, my wishes. I would love you to sign him to a lifetime contract as a Dolphin fan. But that's why you don't fire him. The Falcons have now won two of three since Dan Quinn got fired. Now, Atlanta was going to win other games. I mean, they've been competitive, right? Like they had all these games in the fourth quarter with leads and they blow them even last week against the, uh, against the Lions. So the Falcons are a far more competitive team but why would you risk it? When you have something that's working, you stick with it, right? If you can run the ball consistently in the NFL, you just stick with it until the other team can stop it. On the flip side, for the Jets, when you have something that doesn't work at all, nothing about it works in any way. You stick with it. And that's what Adam Gase is as the head coach. It doesn't work at all. So the only thing that could possibly impact 
the number one pick is a coaching change for the Jets, who will be 0-8 after Sunday. And now Trevor Lawrence, I believe, has, this is breaking news, I believe not only is he, has he tested positive for COVID, he's also decided to join the Peace Corps rather than play for the Jets. Yeah, this is, this is a, a Gordon Damer show exclusive. This guy's pulling out all the stops to, to make sure he uh, avoids playing for the Jets. And we've already solved that Met fans, you don't have to get all worked up. Steve Cohen's going to be, oh my God. Have you heard the reaction of Met fans when they hear, I mean, they become very, very worked up when there's even the possibility. I mean, and Steve Cohen, they don't know Steve Cohen. Yes, it looks like after the Will Ponds and the disaster that that has been, getting somebody in there that's got more money than, you know, he's printing money apparently. Yeah, that's the guy you want. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to all of a sudden uh, walk in the door and start spending all that money. And, and, and the team is, I'm sure he's going to spend money, but whether or not that improves the team, there's plenty of examples of teams, right? Artie Moreno with the Angels, all these teams that they get the owner in there, they spend a ton of money, and it doesn't amount to a whole, a whole bunch of anything. So we'll see. But boy, oh boy, when you hear Met, all Met fans, and they hear the possibility of Steve Cohen. And it's not really, I don't even think it's really that much of a possibility. It's like a, 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 you know, maybe a 1% chance of him not being the owner. But they get very, very worked up. So I'm telling you on this Friday, relax. He's going to get the votes. It's all going to, it's going to be fine. I know that Met fans, I think their, their natural disposition, because they're Met fans, they, um, they feel very uh, grieved, right? And then they feel like, oh, it's, it's, it only happens to us. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. So we have already solved that. We've already had more evidence of the fact that, no, you don't, if you're the Jets, you don't fire Adam Gase just yet. Now, good news last night, the Falcons, who had one win, so mathematically they were close to the Jets, even though they're clearly a better team than the Jets. They've kind of socially distanced themselves in terms, in terms of the tankathon. So they now have two wins, which... Who knows when the Jets will... I mean, one win would be an amazing thing. Forget about it. When will the Jets get a second win? What year will that be? So Atlanta clearly is uh, far and away an insurmountable... One win was insurmountable. Certainly a second win is insurmountable as well. Uh, but, of course, we will focus on the name that we've already touched on once, that name being Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, we've had plenty of conversations about, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, four times. It's already been cleared. But it's, it's one thing for me to say it or other hosts to say it. Yesterday, Mel Kuyper Jr. was on with the K-Show. And what has been the question, right? If the Jets get the number one pick, which the algorithm, the Gordon Damer Show algorithm has told you 99.99999% chance they get the number one pick. If they get the number one pick... Do they draft Trevor Lawrence? Do they trade the pick? Do they keep Sam? Do they move on from Sam? Well, here's Mel Kuyper, draft expert. This is the guy who told you yesterday that if the Jets get the number one pick, what should they do? Here's Mel. Well, I think you want to see him again in the big stage against some opponents better than what we've seen. This is just pitch and catch, guys, against what they played. That is a ridiculously easy schedule so far. Miami was a little bit better than they were last year, but that's not an elite team by any stretch. So you want to see him. Notre Dame has some pretty good defensive players. Four or five of those guys will be in the NFL. See him November 7th there. Then, let's face it, teams, Ohio State's defense isn't what it was. Alabama's defense is struggling right now. So I don't know if he'll face that kind of, face that kind of defense like he did against LSU. 
LSU when he was at 48.6%. Even in the Ohio State game, early on, they had his number. Then the targeting against Sean Wade, then he got rolling. Give him credit. He bounced back after a struggling start. He led them back from, to a come-from-behind victory. But against LSU, he looked very average. And that was the one hiccup in his career, one bad game in his career. And he didn't throw an interception, but he was at 48-6. And Joe Burrow won that stage in that field in that game was the better quarterback by miles. And people want to say, well, Burrow had the better team. No, he didn't. Clemson had a great offense around Trevor Lawrence. People are still criticizing LSU's defense, mainly because of the struggling start. They got better as the year went along, and people didn't take that into consideration with all this analytics I call it. I hate analytics. I call it analytics. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is, let's face it, uh, LSU's defense was good. Clemson's offense was really good. And that's not an excuse for the way that uh, Trevor Lawrence played in that game. So I want to see him in those big games on the bigger stage against defenses that won't be that good, won't even be close to what LSU's was, does he play the kind of football you would expect to see from a guy that we're calling one of the elite of the elite to come out in recent memory? All right, so there's Mel Kuyper saying a whole bunch of stuff, but not anything about what I said he was going to talk about. No, he said yesterday, and I don't. I, apparently we don't have the cut, which would be the cut you would want if the Jets or the Giants have the number one pick, according to Mel Kuyper Jr., they would absolutely be forced to take Trevor Lawrence. That would be you, – you can't pass up on a quarterback prospect like that. And you know what? Has not really been brought up – maybe it has. I don't know. But I have not heard it. The Daniel Jones decision when the Giants decided to take him, you know, by taking him, that was not the year to take the quarterback in my eyes. At that point, you knew for sure you're rebuilding. And it feels like – the Giants, after getting all the criticism about not taking Sam Darnold the year before, kind of forced themselves into finding a quarterback that year when it was clearly a rebuilding situation. And you didn't need to take one that year. You could have taken one this past year. And think about it. If things had played out exactly as they had, you would have still been sitting in a very good, you would have been sitting with the fourth pick overall. And either Tua would have been on the board, who was a complete unknown, and I would not have advised you to do that. But Justin Herbert looks like he's a real star in the making. So when you take Daniel Jones in that first year, you are not just taking him, you're passing up on all the other options. And that includes Herbert, who at least right now, again, he's got stuff to prove. It's only a few games. But, I mean, could you have had a better start to a career than Justin Herbert has had? But don't worry. Instead, you got Andrew Thomas. <laughs> um, boy, the fact that that could be the worst Gettleman pick. That, I mean, that is, that is troubling. All right. It is the Gordon Damer Show. Do you know that? It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. But what makes our show special? No, it's not just playing incorrect Mel Kuyper Jr. cuts. You come for, I mean, you come for other things, but you get that as well. But no, it is, of course, the Regal Tumble. The Quest to find the greatest television show of all time. You know the music. It's very dramatic. So today is day number 10. And you know the deal by now. We have 66 shows that we're running through, and every day, the vote total, based on your votes, eliminates one show, and then the following day, randomly selected shows, they join the fray. So there's four shows every day, and I'm going to alter the rules a bit. In the past, I have said that if a show winds up with 10% of the vote, it's an automatic elimination, even if they're not the lowest show overall. I'm going to now up that to 15%. So any show in the future that gets 15% or below 
is automatically eliminated. And that really, I don't think, would have played out so far because we've had a lot of dogs in the, in the fight so far. A lot of SD Special Delivery Jones, a lot of Iron Mike Sharps. But now, you know, this is day 10. We've been doing this for a couple of weeks. By now, you should know how this works. And a big show does enter the fray today. But before that, let's get to yesterday. Because I thought a big show. You told me a big show was entering the fray. And that show yesterday that entered the fray was MASH. I had so many people... Well, until you MASH. Yes, the song. I think that they're kind of telegraphing how this thing's going to go. Very, very somber. Strange song for a... uh, What was a comedy at one point. So MASH enters the fray. And not a terrible showing, but to give it away, the show that leaves us after just one day is MASH. They got only 16% of the vote, losing out to Game of Thrones. And, you know, a lot of people have brought up, you know, that's ridiculous. MASH is clearly a better show. Uh, Look, I would agree. I'm old enough to have watched MASH. It It wasn't one of my go to shows, but I watched MASH. I would agree with you. But let me make the argument from the other side of things. Game of Thrones, while the the ending was repulsive, it was competing at a time where TV, the TV game, was at its most competitive. MASH was kind of like Babe Ruth hitting home runs in the 20s when there were no night games or air travel. You know what I mean? Like, they were just taking trains from place to place. So MASH had a much easier landscape. Now, again, it might have been... The, the better show, but for all the people who suggested it, I love being able to settle scores, for all the people that suggested it, you were wrong. It was not, it did not have, forget about a run, it didn't even walk. It was in there for one day, and it was bounced almost immediately. And again, <laughs> lost to, yeah, I mean, it lost to Game of Thrones, which I think we all can admit is not a great show. It's a very uh, highly decorated show. But when it ends as poorly as it did, it, it kind of takes away from it. All right, so that's day nine. That was yesterday. Stop spending so much time in the past. Let's get to today. Day 10. Again, each day, lowest vote total gets eliminated. Each day, new contender joins the fray. So let's find out what show enters the competition today. shows of all time, any demographic, any time period, anybody, anywhere, you, it's not going to be long when you have the conversation that eventually, very quickly, you are going to get to The Sopranos. And The Sopranos is day 10's entry into the Gordon Damer show, TV show, greatest TV show of all time, Regal Tumble. So that's the new entry into the mix. You can vote on the entries on Twitter at Gordon Damer. The four, again, the three remaining ones, right, from from, uh, from yesterday, we have, of course, The Office has been there since day one, has done very, very well for itself. It also have 
Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones might be uh, like uh, Ned Stark's head right now. They, they've got to be, when they see the Sopranos coming to the ring, you know, Game of Thrones there for a little while, they were talking about greatest HBO show of all time. And then all of a sudden, Andre the Giant comes walking down the ring in the form of uh, the Sopranos. And then, of course, you also have... Hey, that's a, that's a theme song for a, for a sitcom, you know? No words, but hey, side thought. So those are your four shows. You can vote on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Seinfeld, and The Office. And just to clarify again, if for some reason, because we have two, I think, real heavyweights here. I think Seinfeld and The Sopranos are legitimate contenders and in the legitimate conversation for greatest show of all time, depending on how you define greatest show of all time. But if either Game of Thrones or The Office, if they end up with below 15% of the vote, it's a double elimination. So that is, that is big news. That is a change to the rules. We're like Major League Baseball. We're changing the rules of the playoffs just as the playoffs are about to get started. We switch things up all the time here. All right, so there you go. You can vote on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Very even fight. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. in the jungle 46 years ago today yesterday i think it was yesterday no no it was today yeah i'm right rumble in the jungle of course uh, ali george foreman back in 1974 arguably it's been called the greatest sporting event of the 20th century ali was actually the underdog now, it's a little bit before my time, but I've seen, you know, different uh, documentaries and, uh, you know, you can go back and, on YouTube and actually see the fight. Uh, that's, of course, the uh, Ali's uh, rope-a-dope tactic. The fight was watched by a record estimated television audience of one billion people. It was uh, said uh, became uh, the world's most uh, watched live television broadcast of all time, including a rest- uh, record estimated 50 million watchers on uh, pay-per-view. On closed circuit TV, I mean, imagine living back in the day where you actually had to go to a building, go someplace else to watch closed circuit TV. Not living in the day and age that we live in now. How lucky we are, how grateful we should be. Uh, all right, so there you go. Your moment of inspiration for this uh, Friday morning, the rumble in the jungle. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. 1-800-919-3776. We have our own little battle going on right now. The regal tumble. Not to be confused with the rumble in the jungle or the royal rumble. This is the regal tumble as we try and find out the greatest television show of all time. Today's entry, in case you're just joining us, one of the heavy hitters. Maybe the heaviest hitter of them all. The Sopranos. So they are in there now. It's Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Seinfeld in the office. And if any show, if all three, if, if the Sopranos get, I don't know, 90% of the vote, very hard as we've detailed many times, 90% of the vote, then the other three obviously will not have 15%. And if 15, if you do not reach 15%, you are immediately eliminated. So we might have a double elimination today. We might have a triple elimination. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. It's great. So it's all up to you. 
Yesterday, you told me all about MASH, MASH, you gotta have MASH. MASH gets bounced right away. So we'll see. The Sopranos, could they get bounced right away? I don't think so. But you never know. They could be Bobby Bacala buying trains while they're in a war with New York City. You know, people make strange decisions sometimes. So there you go. It is uh, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Seinfeld, and The Office. All right. So we've done that. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. I've done that. Uh, the story yesterday, though, the big managerial story yesterday was about the White Sox making their move for a manager. And I have to be honest, when I first saw the move, I was like, wait, is this the onion? Tony La Russa is the guy. And, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't have been that surprised because I don't know if he was the person who broke the news. But it was a couple of days ago. I'm pretty sure Michael Kay was talking about how the White Sox were thinking about hiring Tony La Russa. But I, I just I, I didn't take it, it. I didn't take it that it was something that was actually going to actually was going to happen. But yeah, Tony La Russa is hired yesterday, 76 years old, bit of a strange move. Now, that's not saying it can't work. And I will say this, no excuses for it not to work. The White Sox are a good team, loaded with young talent. They made the playoffs this year. You'd have to say that was probably the most desirable job that was available this offseason. You know, usually outside-of-the-box hires are made because the team's don't have many great options available, or they're far more desperate than the the ordinary team. The White Sox should not have been a desperate team. They should be. They should have been able to land the most desirable candidate. And again, this is not to say that Tony Larusa can't work, but to say that he managed, you know, at 76 years old, that he managed in 2011. Boy, the the sport has changed a lot since 2011. And the question is, can he adapt? I don't know. Maybe he can. I, we're going to find out. And it, it does need to be he is the one that needs to adapt, right? He has to be the adult in the room, and it's his job to take the available parts and to maximize their value. Whatever roles the manager with the White Sox will have, I'm guessing that La Russa is going to have more on his plate and more decision-making power than, you know, the, the, the typical, you know, sabermetric, uh, analytically-driven manager. Now, if I were a fan of the White Sox, if I could put myself in their shoes, uh, I would not be happy. Because the main reason that this move was made, and everybody will tell you this, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, has always regretted firing Tony La Russa, I think it was back in 86. So he's essentially bringing him back to undo that mistake. That's why this move was made. Jerry Reinsdorf always has regretted, his biggest regret as owner was firing Tony La Russa when he had him. Well, if that's the reason why you brought him back, this is a mistake. Hiring him now does not undo the mistake you made in 86. That's undebatable. You blew it then by firing this young, smart manager who has had a Hall of Fame career. You're not undoing that at all. That would be like saying, you know what? The worst trade we ever made was uh, dealing Sammy Sosa. So let's bring Sammy back and put him in right field. Or, or Nick Swisher because you traded him to the Yankees. That, that doesn't, that's not going to undo the mistake you made then. Just like this move is not going to undo the mistake you made back in 1986. Now again, that's not saying it can't work. But the reasoning and the fact that it's one guy, the owner, who's making the decision seems like it's almost doomed from the start. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. But, you know, it's funny. That managerial story was all the talk yesterday. But 
none really of the attention was on the fact that the Tigers either are close or have already done uh, their deal with A.J. Hinch. A.J. Hinch, you remember him, who oversaw the greatest cheating scandal baseball has seen in a, in a century. He had a front row seat to the cheating that went on. Can't deny that he knew what was happening. And he, again, much like Larusa, was supposed to be the adult in the room, but yet repeatedly lied about it. And what happened to him? Well, he got a suspension. But then as soon as that suspension was over, he's let right back in the door. And not just to have a job, is given the, essentially the same kind of job he had. He was a manager. He's a manager again. What the hell are we doing? Well, Gordon, the suspension's over. Jeff Lunau's suspension's over. Is he back in yet? No, doesn't seem like that. And you'd have to say, who was more responsible for the building of the Astros in terms of just the talent? Well, that would be Jeff Lunau. Jeff Lunau clearly is better at his job than A.J. Hinch was at his. But he's not back in Lunau because baseball doesn't want him to be back in. Because for whatever reason, he seems like he's a bit of a jerk. I, I don't know. It was, seen, it, was, it was reported that A-Rod hurt his chances just by talking to Lunau. But A.J. Hinch is given the exact same job that he was caught doing something illegal. You can't say that you take the issue seriously and then allow the guy to walk back in the door. He should not be allowed to manage now. He should never be allowed to manage again. And the fact that baseball is allowing him to manage again shows you that, you know what, it's not really that. They don't take it that seriously. So, you know what, for all these teams, you may as well just do it. Find any rule, break any rule, do whatever you want. Yeah, you might get caught. You might get a slap on the wrist. Like, But if, if you have a nice personality like A.J. Hinch and you're liked within the game, eh, you get right back in. No worries. Don't worry about it. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. All right, let's go to some calls. 1-800-919-3776. Sal is in Brooklyn. Sal, what's going on, my man? Sal, are you there? All right, I'm here. You there, Gordon? Right, Good morning. Man. Yeah, I got you. Okay, hey, mash got mashed. Yes. I made my first dollar bet in Ali against my gym coach in junior high school when he formed Zaire, and it's not a coincidence that you're putting the Sopranos on a real heavyweight on the anniversary of Ali. Yeah, that did work out nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you why it was a great sign by the White Sox. They are an up-and-coming. They are. absolutely. And you get get an old man in there. Now, it could have been LaRusa. It could have been Bochy. It could have even been Showalter. But you get that old school in there with these young guys, and he's not going to be there five, seven, eight, ten years. He'll be there just to establish and set those roots in place and play baseball a little bit away from the way the analytics are played. And then before you know it, these guys are going to be competing every year. They'll be a solid team for 10 years with that youth they got there. So I think it was a good move. Whether it was a, a reciprocation of bringing you back because I fired you, fine. But he's, he's the right guy for this job right now. you got to bring an old guy there with these young kids, and it's yeah. going to work. That looks out. I mean, it might work. I, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know how adaptable uh, Tony Russa at the age of 76 is. And Sal, thanks for the call. He will have to adapt his game, I think, to uh, the younger player. Uh, you know, he's had some things in the past where, you know, he's made it out like, uh, you know, the unwritten rules and that type of stuff. But he did have some, you know, some interesting characters in his time with the A's or his time with the, the Cardinals. So we'll see. I'm not going to I'm not going to prejudge him and say this can't possibly work. I'm just saying if I were a White Sox fan today 
and I had this young team. We just fired the manager who probably had the most successful season here in the last, what, decade or so. And this is the move we were made. And again, the reason it was made, not necessarily that Tony La Russa is seen as this uh, baseball savant who is now going to be able to come in here and maximize the value, but it's really because the owner has always felt regret over firing Tony La Russa in the past. It's not about, well, you know what? The only guy who can take this team and, and maximize the value of these young guys is someone like Tony. No, that's not it. It's the fact that Tony La Russa, Reinsdorf has always felt bad about firing him. Well, bringing him back now doesn't undo the firing in 1986. You don't get, you know, I don't know how old Tony La Russa was in 1986, but, you know, 35-, 38-year-old Tony La Russa with a whole career in front of him. So, yeah, I mean, the, the shelf life, I would think, is very, very short. Let's go to Tito in Providence. Tito, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing? I just wanted to chime in real quick. I know you t- touched on it about uh, the new ownership with the Mets and everything. My whole thing with, with uh, Alex and, and the whole J-Lo thing, I think, why would you want a baseball team? Okay? At the end of the day, the owners the owners in baseball get crushed. They absolutely get crushed by the players. The players' union has so much power. The players get what they want. If you want to buy something, buy buy a basketball team or a foot or, or one of the f- football franchises. Which, in my opinion, there's two football franchises out there to be got. The first one, obviously, is the Jets. The second one, I think the Washington Football Team is coming is going to be coming up for sale because I don't think that uh, Daniel Snyder is going to survive this whole scandal once they really get once they really get into it. I think it's going to come up for sale. Why would you ever want a baseball team? Well, because you're a baseball fan. On top of that, on top of that, don't forget, baseball has no salary cap. That's why the players get what they want constantly. They constantly get what they want. Get a basketball or football team. The return is so much more on your investment. Uh, Look, Tito, I'm I'm not going to tell you, and thanks for the call. I don't know that, uh, you know, in terms of return on investment, I mean – I don't know. Seems like the baseball owners are doing pretty well. I know, I know they tell you all the time, you know, we get crushed, we're losing all this money. I don't know. It seems like uh, the Mets went up for sale in a pandemic. Uh, and it's the Mets. It's not, you know, it's not the Yankees. Uh, and they went for $2.4 billion. I don't know. Seems like they're doing pretty well. Seems like the baseball owners are doing pretty well. And when you're Steve Cohen and you have 14, was it $14 billion? I think you buy whatever the hell you want. And it seems like he wants to own the Mets. So that's why he bought it. And I don't think the Jets are uh, coming up for sale or Washington. I think those football teams, they don't come up for sale very often. These sports teams don't come up for sale very often. So, you know, for the Mets to be able to get $2.4 billion while we have this global downturn and all these different things, I don't know. seems like baseball is doing pretty good. Let's squeeze in uh, another call. Jerry is in Brooklyn. Jerry, what's going on, my man? Gordon, merci beaucoup in bringing in one of the heavy hitters, the Sopranos, they will now separate from the rest of the competition, just like Kansas City will separate from the Jets on Sunday. How's oh God, that I hope analogy? He's a little bit more. I hope the Regal Tumble becomes a little bit more competitive than the Jets and the uh, the Chiefs on Sunday. <laughs> and, and let me just say, actually, I have five top shows that I think could compete with the Sopranos for the number one show of all time. So I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I think you've done a great job in slowly bringing uh, the competition in. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and that's all I wanted to say. So please have a good day. Thanks. All right, Jerry, thank you for the call. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Yeah, well, look, it was, a, it was a random draw. I didn't intend for the Sopranos to get here this quickly. Uh, it is good 
to have some big ones along with some smaller shows, some personal favorites. You know, those are all out there. But I think when you talk about the greatest television shows of all time, and, and you can define it in different ways, Sopranos, you're going to get to the Sopranos very, very quickly. Uh, based on the fact that as revolutionary as it was, as groundbreaking as it was, as popular as it was. I mean, think about, you know, you'd have the Sopranos series, season start, right? And it would end. And then the conversation, oh my God, when are they going to come back? And it would take forever for them to come back. And then when they came back, you were so excited for Sunday nights. There's nothing like that, right? There's a, you know, I guess it's because, you know, we live in a streaming world where everything's available to you or a lot of things are available to you right away. There's no show like that right now that you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, oh my God, I can't wait for the, and it took a long time a lot of times, but it was definitely worth the wait. So we'll see. We'll see if The Sopranos is now going to go on. I would think that they're going to go on a very deep run. And if you told me, I don't know how many days it will be because, you know, some teams, uh, some shows will get eliminated earlier than others. But I don't know when we will get to the final uh, matchup in the, in the Regal Tumble. I would be shocked if when we got there that the Sopranos was not part of the mix. Brian, does anything sound different about the show today in terms of me? Anything at all? Well, the Regal Tumble, the Sopranos. No, Ooh. no. Just I, I'm just talking. I got a new desk. I'm wondering if the uh, the acoustics of the new desk has uh, changed anything in any hmm. way. No. Well, I know same. lately you've been sounding more crisp. So yeah, since okay. you changed the in- changed your let internet, me, let me ask you this because uh, I got a dog. Right, we're all doing shows from uh, the, the from our homes now. Right, I think everybody kind of knows that. So the, we have a, a dog who. Um, uh, look, I don't know that they... Uh, we love him to death, so don't take this the wrong way, but he's got mental problems. Uh, oh, my so goodness, Gordon. For whatever reason, he decides at when I get up that he's going to get up. He has nothing to get up for. He has no appointments. I've checked his calendar. But for some reason, he feels the need to get up in the basically the middle of the night. Like, nobody is willingly deciding to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, but this dog decides, you know what? This is the time I'm going to get up. So then what does he do? He gets up, he comes down here with me, and then he falls asleep. So now he's sleeping about 10 feet away, but you can't hear him snoring, right? No, not at all. Okay, good. <laughs> I we, never hear your dog, snoring, by the way. We only want that from the audience, not from the dog. What's, from what's, what's, uh, what's your dog's name, Gordon? Uh, Buster. He oh, came Buster. with that name. He's a rescue. Oh. Uh, and, you, know, you hear people, uh, who rescued who? No, we definitely rescued him. He's, uh, we love him. He's part of the family, but he's nuts. So uh, we, <laughs> it's just the way it is. All right. Uh, it is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98 points. If you could hold it down over there, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, one more thing before we get back to the phones uh, on Justin Turner. And the conversation with Justin Turner uh, just continues because of his actions after the Dodgers won the world. Uh, he really did, though. He, you have to say, he re- you know, the old line about you can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him. He really took that to you can't stop him or contain him. He really is. Uh, but I've seen a lot of people taking baseball to task for letting Turner get back on the field. And look, baseball deserves criticism for the, the fact that he was in the game and the testing, all that type of stuff. But in terms of him getting back on the field, what did you want baseball to do? They try, They told. He knew the, the risks, right? They tried to stop him. He did not care. And as we said yesterday, you can't make people care if they don't care. Major League Baseball taught, uh, told him, pulled him, told him, do not go back out there. I mean, what did you want them to do? Tackle him? Arrest him? I think that would have looked worse for baseball. All right. 1-800-919-ESPN. Let's squeeze some more calls in here. Spike is in Jersey. Spike, what's going on? 
Good morning, my friend. Nice to hear the dog story. I only deal with rescues, and uh, they're great. They're your best friend. You want another they, one? They, no, I'm just kidding. The kids would be devastated if... Uh, if I wasn't moving, I would take another one. They, you know, the good part about COVID-19, and that sounds like an oxymoron, is that the animal shelters are fairly empty. That's That's been the residual... That is true. That is, uh, look, yeah. that is a silver lining. Yeah. Yeah, listen, yesterday, so, uh, you know, I call everybody, I try to get to everyone once or twice a week if I can. And Michael K. says to me yesterday, he says, you know, you fit right in now with Larusa coming back age-wise. I said, well, why don't they get Phil Reagan as the pitching coach? Then I'll still be the youngest guy, you know. I could be the bench coach. I think it's great that he's coming back. I really do. Uh, but uh, one thing with Larusa, and I brought it up yesterday, but I know audiences come in now. Lamusa was the first guy with Dave Duncan. Remember, he used to change the pitches and mm-hmm. every, and it's become you know that's Lamusa would be mild, you know, if you rated him how often he changed the pitcher. But when I first saw him, I said, "Would you stop already? Let's go." He'd come out to the mound, he'd BS a little bit, he'd take a step back. He'd bring in four or five pitches a game, and you remember, you remember him in those days. You're not that old. I mean, old enough to remember. He he. Uh, he slowed the game down. And now look what you got. You got power forwards coming in and pitching for three batters. You know? yeah. No, look, I mean, he, he was he, he was revolutionary for a time. I, I just don't know. And Spike, we're running out of time, so thanks for the call. Uh, I just don't know. You know, you might be one way when you're 35, uh, and you're not the same when you're 75. Now, I've not reached 75, but I could just tell from the age that I am right now that by the time, if I'm lucky enough to reach 75, uh, I'm not going to be as open as an adaptable. And I think that for Tony La Russa, he has to be the one that adapts to the talent, not the talent adapting to him. There was a time when Tony La Russa was managing, the expectation was the players adapt to the manager. That has flipped. And I think that that's flipped even more since the last time he managed in 2011. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, I am back tomorrow starting at 7 a.m. The Regal Tumble is up. The Sopranos are in there. Go vote. Vote early. Vote often with your burner accounts, please. And we'll see you tomorrow at 7. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.